Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I feel like we need to start this week with a big caveat in that I think it's almost pointless trying to conclude anything from performances or results at this stage of this bizarre season because everyone just looks worryingly unfit to me. I think it's almost, you know, it's starting to show now like making the players play three games a week in the middle of a pandemic wasn't the best idea. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, with, uh, with no pre-season as well. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've seen like a single team play consistently well for 90 minutes so far this season. You've just seen teams playing kind of fits and starts. Joel, do you think the effect of playing in empty stadiums is starting to show as well at this point? I think it definitely is. It's 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 so Sunday league. It's un, it's unreal. <laughs> uh, where where just nothing makes any sense at all. And then once you get into a temper of a game, it's hard to really get it back. Um, it's it, I mean it, it makes for great viewing, and it makes for uh, you know how how the hell do you call the season? I mean, it's that, that's fantastic for for a neutral, but. Mm. Not when you support a team that's trying to win the title. Uh, <laughs> so there was times I was watching the Liverpool game, and I don't want to just single them out for criticism. And obviously they won anyway, but um, it was like watching, you know, in Space Jam when the NBA players all have their talent <laughs> taken away from them. There were times when they were just all like they just looked like shattered, and it was, it was tiring watching them. But yeah, as I say, perhaps uh, you know, don't take too much, uh, pay too much attention to our analysis this week because no one really knows what's going on, do they? Uh, anyway, I'm Dan Burke. This is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast, and I'm joined this week by Lewis. Ambrose. Hello. And Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. So we'll start this week at the London Stadium, where the early kickoff on Saturday finished West Ham 1, Man City 1. Lots of my fellow City fans were a bit pissed off with the performance and the result in this game. But like I say, you know, they look knackered. They've also had to deal with injuries to key players this season. Do you agree with me, Lewis, that it's difficult to properly judge City at the moment under those circumstances and people just need to chill out a little bit? Yeah, City, and like you were just saying, they're pretty much every other club as well. Mm. Um yeah, like you say, City have obviously got their injuries. Kevin De Bruyne, Sergio Aguero. Uh, they've lost David Silva in the summer. So it's three, the cornerstone of the attack sort of with Raheem Sterling as well over the past few seasons under Pep Guardiola. And to contend with that on top of everything else, the current situation, you do sort of think it's a little bit, yeah, how do you judge that? At the same time, I do think you can maybe judge whether or not City did everything they needed to do in the summer mm. uh, to to cope with injuries, but also to cope with, obviously, David Silva leaving. People knew that Aguero was injured coming into the season. Uh, I think I've seen Pep Guardiola today or yesterday say that City couldn't have afforded another striker. Um, <laughs> Get the which, violins out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> took, the, took the words out of my mouth. Um <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'm sure they could have afforded someone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I I don't think you can blame Man City for the way they're playing with the squad they have, but I think you can question whether or not this should have this should be the squad that City are sort of stuck with at this point of the season. Mm. The, the striker one is an interesting one because they've, um, you know got by with just two two main strikers for several years. And in fact, you know, Gabriel Jesus, one of them, probably hasn't played nearly as much as he would have liked in that time. And now they're both injured and suddenly it's like, well, we've got no strikers now. But how do you really like bring in a striker <laughs> to play third fiddle to those two yeah. at all times just in case they both get injured suddenly? It's it's a, it's a difficult one. It's to... hard. I, I think, I don't know, obviously you're, you're the City fan here, but mm. I think... We all know that Aguero, especially, is on his last legs. Um, his time as a as a footballer and certainly a top level footballer is more and more limited. 
And even though he's still playing great when he does play, um, you do think like maybe there's a not a continuity thing that could have happened there. The same way that Phil Foden can kind of was there ready and waiting to step into David Silver's place as soon as mm. he left. Um, yeah, maybe a, a young player that City could have targeted or, yeah, I don't know. It's it's awkward because obviously you don't want to get in the way of, of Liam Delap having chances a couple mm-hmm. of years from now and you don't want to get in the way of Gabriel Jesus getting minutes when it's possible for him to get minutes as well. But yeah, it's, it's strange. And then obviously you've had this situation where City of recent times started using Sterling up front sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then you're not only pulling him out of position into a, a place where he's not really suited and not so comfortable, but you're also taking him away from where he's been so dangerous the last few years. Yeah, um, And there's a bit of a domino effect there. Yeah, he's definitely no nowhere near as effective down the middle than he is coming in off the left flank. Um, I mean, Guardiola cited in his press conference um, before the Marseille game this week that you know that stat that's been going around about the muscle injuries in in the Premier League. There's been like forty seven percent more muscle injuries this season than the, at the same stage last season, which is pretty alarming. But then perhaps he doesn't help himself by the fact he named an unchanged eleven from the Porto game <laughs> last week against West Ham. Which I mean, I've always thought that's been a bit of a problem of his that his, his kind of squad management leaves a lot to be desired. Um, and I think going back to the kind of frustrations that City fans are feeling at the moment, I think a lot of it stems from the fact that you know they had a bad season last year. That you know there were lots of problems came to the surface and they don't seem to have gone away and you know they're still give, they're still conceding goals despite not uh, giving the opposition too many chances they're struggling to make their possession count at the other end do you think that's to be expected Joel considering how little time there was between last season and this one it just feels like a continuation basically yeah 100% um, and, and the thing is we've said it already that the teams that have the pre-season will, will Man City were, are, are the height of teams that have the pre-season because obviously they had European commitments and I know they technically got sort of a month off, but they, you know, not really. It's not much of a time, not mm. much of a break, and you know, didn't have no chance to sort of have players have a break and then get back into the swing of things and, and play a friendly. I'm not even sure of you. you did play a friendly off the top of my head. Don't think uh, so, no. Um, which is which is which is just bizarre. But I, I, I you know, what it is sort. Of, I, this is why you can't, can't draw too many, uh, you know, points about Man City right now because they're very much still in trying to get cooking uh, phase and. You know, as a Liverpool fan, I still think, you know, we, we're only five points ahead of you at the moment. We, we need to keep that gap, especially when we, you know, Liverpool Man City play each other in two weeks' time. Mm. City win that game and, and close that gap to two points, let's say, if, if next weekend goes to type, then it's, it's a different pitching and you're talking, you're talking about Man City in a totally different context. I, it is interesting we're talking about the squad because this is the first game of season that I thought. Well, hang on, maybe there is a bit of an issue here with, with, with City. I mean, they, they do look a bit stale going forward. And it's actually funny that I actually think the issue might be in attack now rather than in your defence. And mm. you know, at the start of the summer, we're, we're talking about Man City's defence and what work needs to get done there. But I would say Diaz and Laporte will eventually become a very strong partnership, I believe. And, and then I think Nathan Ackley can do a job at left back and then. Kyle Walker isn't as finished as a lot of people have, you believe it, right oh, back. He's in great form, actually, yeah. Yeah, 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 he look, uh, yeah, he has looked great last couple of games. And it, but, but going forward, uh, Sterling's not a problem, but Sterling's having a bit of a phase, which he tends to do nearly every season, um, where he just doesn't look like he's as ruthless. Like he, he should score on, on, on Saturday, which is that really good one-on-one. Um, 
And then I, I don't know what's happened with Mara's start of the mm, season. There, yeah. anyone else is maybe, maybe he's space champ. Maybe the aliens taking control. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't look like he's quite got cooking. Yeah, and then obviously up front. So I, I, it's funny that you know the, the stance has been for the last couple of seasons that Liverpool's eleven is very good and maybe just a little bit better than City's. But City's got a better squad mm. and a better depth. And I do wonder whether that's maybe that's changed. And City aren't quite. Up there at, at the moment, but let's not rule anything out because you know, mm. they could still go and get ninety points very, very easily. Yeah, well, I'm starting to think that you won't need anywhere near that amount to win the Premier no. League this season. I think if you get eighty points this season, you might be in with a shout of the title. It's wild, isn't it? Yeah, but, but uh, I agree. Yeah, I, feel, I feel like City's problems are really hard to explain. Like you can you can point to the system and say that must be the problem. Yeah, you look at last season; they scored seventeen more goals than Liverpool last season. They conceded almost the same amount. And like you say, even though the West Ham performance wasn't great, if Sterling Omara showed a bit more composure at the end of the game. Yeah. City win that, and no one's talking about all these problems. Like, oh, they say, no, oh, it's another win, and you know they're, they're just breathing down Liverpool's neck again now. So, yeah, it's, it's really strange. I don't even think Guardiola would be able to explain what's what's what the problem is and how how he, he doesn't know how to fix it. Clearly, um, a lot of the talk at the moment, Lewis, is about Guardiola's future, whether he'll sign a new contract and stay beyond the end of this season. Do you think he will stay? And more importantly, do you think he should stay? Uh, I find this so such a difficult one because. He's he's obviously we know that he's never stayed longer than this at a club before, but he's also never had the the control over a club. I, I would say um, mm. he has the power to to run every detail of Man City, and that's that's got to be enticing for him. And it leaves the question: Well, where does he go then if he leaves? Um, I think he's talked before about having quite a short managerial career mm. and. Because he, he's so intense and, and it takes everything out of him, but I, I think he'd he'd quite soon be back if he spent a year or two away. He'd be absolutely desperate for the competition mm. again, <laughs> and I don't really know where he'd go this summer um, if he did leave City. I think for him personally, I think he will probably stay. It's also I don't really see him walking out. Well, if if City went and won the league again, I don't see him mm. leaving out while on top. Uh, I also find it really hard to see him not win back to back titles, um, and then walk out and sort of as if he's not proven something. Mm. And people will obviously say then that the the last couple of years have been a failure. If he, if City were to not win the league this season, he would go. Um, so I do find it really difficult. I think for the club and for the squad, it wouldn't be the worst thing to be honest. Mm. I think we talk, you talk, and it comes up everywhere. This intensity that he works with, and that's got to run you down eventually. Um, they're only human at the end of the day, and you talk about Aguero coming to the end of his time. You talk about David Silva leaving. Vincent Company obviously left a couple of years ago. If City are going to sort of rebuild a new team now, which is, I would say, you're coming up to that sort of phase, uh, then why not just rip the plaster off and do it with someone new in mm, charge as well? Yeah, yeah I, I think the club is, is due a bit of a reboot, actually. Um, I, I, you know, I've, I love Guardiola. I've, I've really appreciated the, the football that they've played under him, but I feel like he's grown a bit weary now, it seems, and I, and I think the players definitely have, have sort of run out of steam under him somewhat um, but let's imagine he does leave this summer uh, at the end of the season sorry Joel and, and City don't win the league or the Champions League this season would you deem his time in England a success or a failure? 100% uh, success um, completely I mean we, we can't 
you know, obviously there's a bit of recency bias when you know he doesn't win the league this season. A lot of people, I think, will will call him a failure, which mm. I think would be very, very harsh. Let's not forget what he has done and what Man City has done in, in in recent seasons, where you know first team to win the domestic treble, the hundred point season followed up by a ninety eight point season. Mm. They changed the the picture of the game in, in English football, let's say, and um. You know, if I, I don't like this argument and I hate the question because I think it's futile, but if you talk about best team in the Premier League era, you know, not in my opinion, he wouldn't be, but a lot of people would say that they, they are, or it's Man City's team of, I think it was 17 team, he got 100 points. Yeah. That, that that team was the best team in the Premier League era. Um, I'm not going to give my opinion on that because, you know, I can't be arsed with, with the abuse. Um, <laughs> well, there's no but, way to there's no way to give a definitive answer. Yeah, anyway, I don't think. Yeah. yeah, but, uh, you know, if someone said that Man City's team were that, then you can't really argue with them too much. Mm. They're, they're fantastic. And I, I think that reason it is success. The, the Champions League is always going to be the holy grail that is maybe just been out of reach for him, uh, for Guardiola and for Man City. But, you know, it's, only one team can win that every season. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's It's... You know, it's hard to win that to win well, that trophy, but no, he's he's been a success and Man City have been absolutely phenomenal under him. And you know, maybe it's just reaching the end of the line right now. But it's too early to say that. I say this season, mm. well, not only not only like that hundred point season, and then like you say, Joel, ninety eight points the year after sort of changed what it what uh, what you need to do to win the league. But I think the, it was towards the end of the first season. Dan, you'll probably remember better. Uh, Gary Neville turned around and said that. Um, basically that it's impossible that Guardiola will never win the Premier League playing his football mm. and I think not only to do it but to do it with those milestones and to pick up the other cups along the way is ridiculous and it just sort of shoved all that criticism right back down everybody's throats yeah yeah well the, the, the problem that Guardiola's had I think a bit in England is this fallacy that's kind of following around that he was brought in to win the Champions League and if he doesn't win the Champions League thereby you know it has to have been a failure which it will be a disappointment if he leaves City and having not won the Champions League don't get me wrong but I don't think anyone at the club has ever said he was brought in to win the Champions League he was brought in to win trophies and that's exactly what he's done uh, this the biggest one has perhaps you know so far proved elusive but who knows? Maybe he'll uh, he'll win it this season and, and ride off into the sunset. Um, <laughs> who knows? Uh, but another solid uh, result for West Ham. Admit it, Lewis. After they lost against Newcastle in their opening <laughs> game, and they had Arsenal, Wolves, Leicester, Tottenham, and City coming next. You feared for old David Moyes, didn't you? I feared for David Moyes. I, I think I said on this podcast that West Ham could or would go seven games without picking up a single point. Yeah. <laughs> like it genuinely looked like that was. Um, not unlikely um, yeah David Moyes I'm sorry I'm very very sorry um, <laughs> he looks like a man who is owed a million apologies yeah. um, so here's one um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's ridiculous I, didn't, I don't think anyone saw it coming I certainly mm. didn't um, and they, I think for the most part they've been worthy of those results as well um, to come back from 3-0 down at Tottenham. They ripped Leicester apart. They ripped Wolves apart. Um, they were very, very unlucky to lose in the last minute against Arsenal. Mm. Um, no, it's quite amazing. And you sort of, I think they were quite good post-lockdown as well, but it was such a weird scenario, the back end of last season, where some teams had something to play for and some didn't. And West Ham were a team that, that had safety to play for still. Um yeah, but they've carried that momentum through now and 
you, it's getting to a point where we're going to have to start saying this is this is a good team and mm. David Moyes is probably doing the best job that he's done since he left Everton for Manchester United. Mm. Well, they've got a great goal from Mikel Antonio in this game as well. He's been incredible this season. His purple patch keeps going. And West Ham have got Liverpool away next week, Joel. Are you nervous about facing the mighty Hammers? <laughs> actually, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like they can just set up to really frustrate you and then you actually have got a bit of attack and talent, haven't they? They can, can yeah. hit you on the break. They're going to make it a dog of a game. It's not going to be pretty, but... Yeah, that's that's not an easy three points, is it? Moyes looks great. He's a, <laughs> it's, it's two weeks of self isolation. He's, um, it's a new man. He didn't. Yeah, he looks like he's out of the bath. He looks like he's out of the bath. And he's come back a new man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of Liverpool on Saturday night, they came from behind to win two one against Sheffield United at Anfield. Uh, Sheffield United took the lead early in the game thanks to a Sander Berg penalty following a pretty harsh decision to penalise Fabinho for a foul right on the eighteen yard line. I feel like I'm learning new quirks to the rules every week at the moment. Am I the only one who didn't realise that on the line? Counted as inside the box. I genuinely didn't know that. No, I think it's 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 been one of them that I don't know if it's unwritten rule or not. Mm. But I've always thought it, it's a penalty when it's you know it's on the line. But I think with this one, um, I mean, it, it's really harsh that a penalty was given considering he got the ball and yeah, it was it even a foul? Out, That's uh... it's outside the box. For <laughs> Oh, I, I don't want to talk about VAR again because it feels like we talk about this every week. Mm. But um, it's we've opened sort of Pandora's box of it now. It's there's no way there's no way back. It's it's sort of like when you're in a you know you're in a relationship and and, and you're having arguments about and a really fierce argument and you say to your to your other half that you, you don't like the cooking. And then there's, you know, the next day, you say, oh, I didn't mean to say that. I was angry, you know. Mm. But then you, you said it now, it's out there. There's no, there's no going back. And that's what we've done with VAR. There is. We can, we can scrap VAR tomorrow, but, you know, that, that won't change anything. For this. There's no going back from it now. Yeah. We've got to find a way to go forward with it. And it's, oh, it's, it, it does me nothing, to be honest. <laughs> well, you know, a foul on the edge of the 18-yard box rewarded with a free shot from 12 yards. You know what I'm going to say, don't you, Joel? <laughs> there we go again. 12-yard box, baby. <laughs> Bring it in. It's coming. <laughs> uh, Roberto Firmino equalised for Liverpool and then Mohamed Salah thought he'd put them 2-1 up with a lovely goal only for it to be ruled out for offside. Uh, that was a tight offside call but it was <laughs> miles on comparison to the Sadio Mane one uh, last weekend, wasn't it, Lewis? Uh, well, offside's offside, isn't it? Yeah. Um, sorry, Joel. <laughs> I don't think we should go into last week's Merseyside derby again because Joel's here and I'm concerned for his health. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm, I don't know. I, I'd ask him if I guess he thought, "Here we go again." As soon as that uh, that one was disallowed on on Saturday night, such a good goal as well. It's just a real, real shame. But uh, Liverpool did soon go two one up with the winning goal headed home by Diogo Jota. Have you been impressed by what you've seen from him in the Liverpool shirt so far, Joel? Yeah, you know what he's 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 blending really quickly. I, I think the main compliment I give him is that. When Liverpool have had to bring, you know, take one of the front three off in in the past, and, and usually Divock Origi is the, the guys who come on. Um, I love Divock; he's a legend for the club and what he's done. Mm. But uh, it just doesn't fit quite right with Liverpool's style of play, and you notice a big difference when Origi comes on compared to to the other guys up front. But when Jota's just come on in recent weeks, um, he, he's blending really quickly, and the, and the style doesn't really change, and and he fits it. I, I, I think on Saturday. Liverpool changed their the system and, and the shape, and, and Jota sort of played kind of the number ten in the four two three one. It didn't quite work. Um, I did say something at half time where I won't be surprised if Klopp brings him off and 
and we changed the four three three, and then looked foolish as we always do on Twitter <laughs> when he goes and scores yeah. the winner. But just delete been... your tweets; no one will notice. <laughs> I, always, I always do; it doesn't work. <laughs> um, but no, he's, he's looked great. I'm really excited by the potential of, of the guy. It's been a really good start. You know, two goals in, in two games at Anfield. Uh, he loves scoring in front of the cop. It's it's a good start. Let's see where it goes. Mm. What did you make of Liverpool's performance overall, especially in the context of them being without Virgil Van Dijk for the first time in the Premier League? Um, I mean, as I mentioned at the start of the show, at times they looked a bit shaky to me. Um, could that just be symptomatic of the condition of every team in the league at the moment? Should we not read anything into that? Yeah, you know, I definitely can. Um, it did. It did look shaky. Um, and Liverpool have had more of a pre-season than most teams, to be honest. So you know, they can't really use that as an excuse. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it, it wasn't great. They weren't. They weren't firing all cylinders. But I took a bit of confidence from it because that win was the kind of win we sort of we've seen Liverpool get over the past two seasons, especially last season when they won the league. Uh, where you know, it's 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 that typical. Ugly win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't pretty. They weren't. They weren't great, but they got over the line. And you know, it's it's fantastic. You know, they kept Sheffield United played well, but they, Liverpool did keep them at bay well enough. Apart from after the goal, they had a good chance. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was Ben Osborne was a good chance at the back post. Apart from that, they didn't really have anything that represented a clear good chance. Um, so they, they, they did well enough, but it's it's just one of them. You know, right now, I think. And the way the league is, you just get your points over the line. Like, you know, let's see where we are when it, when it gets to Christmas. Um, that's, they weren't they weren't brilliant, and but I, I do think it's actually a change of shape, which has maybe maybe done that to be honest, because no one really knew where they were playing the first mm. half. Um, Henderson, one now we're meant to be playing centre mid, and sometimes you've seen them sort of play right and left back, and, <laughs> and obviously fluidity works well when it when it's when it's all purr and everyone knows where they're meant to be, and but when it's when it when fluidity doesn't work well it can be a you know a big big carnage yeah, but yeah. I know it's three points will do Indeed. Uh, it was a valiant display from Sheffield United, but that's now six games without a win, and they've got Man City and Chelsea coming next. Do you think they'll take heart from that, Lewis, from how they played at Anfield, and can you perhaps see them getting a big result soon? Uh, I think they'll take heart, but they'd have preferred to have taken a point or three. <laughs> yeah. um, especially, I think, when you're, when you're down there, then, yeah, not winning for three or four games quickly becomes five or six or seven, mm-hmm. and suddenly you're scrambling for points to stay up uh, especially like you just said they've got Chelsea and Man United coming up especially you sort of look at the fixture list and wonder where that point's going to start coming mm-hmm. from mm. um, yeah I've, they obviously like you've just seen how they played at Anfield they can go and, and beat Chelsea or go and beat Man United in the next couple of weeks but you wouldn't necessarily back them to do it I think maybe against Chelsea a slightly better chance I would say but you wouldn't back them to do it and obviously Dean Henderson's gone uh, Jack O'Connell's out Lundstrom's contract things up at the end of the season uh, you look at the team and uh, Ryan Brewster might change things but you do sort of question where goals might come from mm. and it's a lot to ask for a young kid as well isn't yeah it, really? exactly he's never played in the Premier League before um, he obviously had a good record at Swansea on loan last season mm. and that's why they've signed him but there the, you're looking at the longer this winless run goes on you're sort of not just putting goals the goal burden on his shoulders but sort of the can he score enough goals to keep us up on his shoulders and yeah it's a massive massive ask especially when we're we're talking about a season where you said earlier you think 
80 or low, low 80s is yeah. sort of probably going to be enough to win the league, which means we might be looking at you need, you really needing to hit that 40-point barrier to stay up. Um, so the longer the, that these runs go on, and Sheffield United aren't the only team that have started badly, but the longer a run like that goes on, the, the gap to not just mid-table but safety just grows and grows. Mm. Yeah, just looking at their fixtures now, they've got Man City uh, at home next week, then Chelsea away, then West Ham at home, then West Brom away. I mean, you think that West Brom game, if they're still winless after that one, then it's time to really start worrying, isn't it? I yeah. Think. yeah. yeah. Uh, well, uh, for the second week running, Arsenal lost 1-0 when they were beaten by Leicester thanks to a late Jamie Vardy goal on Sunday. Uh, firstly, Lewis, what do you make of Meza Ozil's pre-match predictions on Twitter? What do you think he's up to there? <laughs> Is he trying to like kill everyone with kindness? Like, oh, you've left me out of the Premier League squad, but look, I'm still really passionate about the club. Is it that sort of... <laughs> yeah, he was very bizarrely live tweeting during the Rapid Vienna game on Thursday as well. <laughs> Head up, Burnt Leno. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just like the most vanilla fan account. Um, <laughs> it's quite, yeah, um, just when you think you've seen it all as an Arsenal fan, um, there's another ridiculous thing that can happen at this mm. club. <laughs> they already pay someone to be a social media person and they're paying somebody else <laughs> more than a quarter of a million pound a week to oh, be one God, as well yeah, apparently yeah. now um, yeah I mean it's every time that you talk about Mesut Ozil the last few months or maybe the last year even it it feels like everything is just a part of a bigger PR war between him and Arsenal um, who comes out of this incredibly messy breakup looking like the bad guy mm. uh, and it's very hard to get past that sort of the idea that that's what's happening, cynic, cynical as it may be, that Mesut Ozil, and I'm sure he's not sitting on the sofa tweeting these things. Yeah. Um, I'm sure the, these tweets are all part of a bigger PR play. Um, yeah, uh, to to not look like the bad guy as him and Arsenal go through the world's slowest divorce. <laughs> um yeah, it's all just a bit of a, a sideshow um, and a, yeah, welcome to the circus. Yeah, what do you make of the situation in general for him? Do you have any sympathy for him, you know, being left out of the, the Premier League squad and the Europa League squad? Um, I have some sympathy for, obviously, a very talented footballer who can't, who isn't playing football because he's mm. not being picked. Um, but if this was about playing football, then... It was made perfectly clear to him that he wouldn't be playing football for Arsenal this mm. season, and he could have gone somewhere else, albeit with a pay cut. Um, he could have gone and played football somewhere else. I'm sure there are plenty of teams around the world that would have taken Mesut Ozil if he was available to leave. I'm pretty sure, like we saw James Rodriguez go to Real Madrid so they could get rid of his wage, uh, go to Everton so Real Madrid could get rid of his wages. Mm. I'm pretty sure Arsenal would have happily let him go for nothing um, yeah. in the summer. Uh, and then it would have been down to Ozil to to sort of sort out any compensation from Arsenal for cancelling the contract early or um, taking a pay cut at the next club. And it just, yeah, everything suggests that he's not really willing to do any of that. So that's his Fuck decision him. at the end of the day. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Ah, I mean, uh, uh, you'd lo- I'd love I'd love it if Mesut Ozil was still playing like himself and getting in this Arsenal team because they're crying out for someone like him mm-hmm. um, at the peak of his powers, and obviously Mesut Ozil at the peak of his powers can transform a team, uh, but 
though this it's just boring it's just boring and tiring at this point and mm. i can't wait for i never thought that when when we signed him or even a few years ago when he signed the new contract uh, i never thought we'd be getting to this point and i think the vast majority of arsenal fans are just sitting at home saying god when will his contract end yeah yeah <laughs> just needs to clean break you know rip off that plaster and just get it over yeah for everyone it? yeah yeah, yeah um, it's so such an unhealthy relationship for everybody at this point. <laughs> um, you mentioned creativity there. Is that is that Arsenal's biggest problem at the moment? You know, two one nil defeats on the spin for them now. What what is going wrong, and how do you think Arteta fixes it? Yeah, I think so. I think um, you're, it, it's weird this sort of halfway house that we're getting to that point, and when a manager's been there, that the honeymoon period is over, and uh, the glossy big wins. The, that came at the end of last season and the FA Cup win, um, they sort of stop having their hold over fans or stop having an effect on fans and the way that you the way that you sort of interpret things and the way that you you feel after games. And yeah, I'd say that honeymoon period is absolutely over mm. for <laughs> Arsenal fans and Mikel Arteta and the way that the team are playing. Um, are people starting to, to get uh, lose patience with him a bit? Uh, I, I don't think it's not like people want him to leave mm. um, but there's definitely a, you just want to see the right travel the right direction of travel yeah. um, and the, you're sort of watching the team at the moment and it's exactly like you said about Man City by the way obviously that there's been no pre-season there are injuries etc um, and now I think it's a, a horrible situation for a young manager that not only has there been no preseason, but now they're playing every three days again with the mm. Europa League. And when they're not, there's an international break. Uh, it's definitely not easy. And he came in and Arsenal were in a horrible position. And I think we've seen the the first coming up to 10, 10 months, nine, 11 months of Mikel Arteta now. Um, yes, yeah, 10 months. And mm. you see that I think he's tried to fix the defence first. Um, and he's done that. Uh, we don't leak goals anymore. We're not wide open. Uh, we don't concede 20 shots a game like we were doing in the last few months under Unai Emery. But in doing so, he feels like he's put a bit of a straitjacket on the team. And it's again, it's about finding that balance. When is that straitjacket going to come off? And when are Arsenal going to be allowed to allowed to, to attack? And then when they attack, how are they going to attack? Um, I actually thought the first half against Leicester on Sunday was really good. Uh, they, Leicester didn't pose any threat at all. Even the second half, they only really had that one chance, which they obviously, obviously scored. Mm. Um, and Arsenal easily could have gone in 2 0 up at half time. But yeah, it's, that's the big question, I think, for, for Arteta and Arsenal is when Arsenal play against the team that are happy to sit back, well, then what's the plan? Yeah. Uh, we've seen the plan against Man City and against Liverpool when it's had varied success, but no one's going to beat those teams every every game anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll we'll see Arsenal go to Man United next week, and that might suit the team more again. But yeah, it's these games where a Leicester without Vardy or uh, an Aston Villa and a Sheffield United. How are Arsenal going to break those teams down? And that's the big question. Yeah, Thomas Partey made his full debut against Leicester. What do you think of his performance in this game? Yeah, I thought he looked quite good. He looked a bit frustrated at times. He, he wasn't getting the ball enough, I think, for his mm. liking um, from from his defenders. Um, and when he did get it, maybe there weren't people making runs that he was hoping they would make. Uh, but yeah, he's, he, he played against Rapid Vienna as well and he looked impressive that night. It, you can never really 
sort of gauge the standard of the opposition then. Um, but I hope he played well against Leicester and hopefully there's a bit more to come. Mm. Well, that's 2-1-0 wins on the spin for Leicester now. Does this uh, put Brandon Rogers firmly back in genius territory then, Joel? The old fraud amateur that <laughs> gets uh, measured by. It was genius on on Sunday in a way. Um, they they had a game plan that worked to total perfection. I think I think Leicester's plan was actually it probably worked better than they thought because I think they would have absolutely taken being one nil down on sixty minutes with, with thirty minutes of of Vardy into the mix and and, and see what you can get, but. What they had instead was nil nil on sixty, where Arsenal still need to try and come forward and get something out of the game. And oh look, we've got you know the best striker to play counter attack and football with. And and like Lewis said, there they had, they had one chance and they took it. And it's it was it was it was genius. It, it was it was perfection from from Rogers. Fair play to him because the criticism in the past has been he can't set a team up to defend and 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 get the nitty gritty jobs of the football done. But they did exactly that on Sunday and. And he had that delicious package to bring off the bench, which which worked, which was fine. Um, fair play to him. You know, I don't want to come with fraud this week, but we'll save that for next week instead. <laughs> it's like I mentioned it on the podcast last week about the how, you know it's impossible to kind of predict what the top four at the end of the season will look like. I'm really fascinated to know this because there are genuinely about six or seven teams who could stake a claim for that this year. I think, and you know, give, all things considered, given the sort of unpredictable nature of the season, mm. you know, Leicester could easily get back in there again or. Or, you know, Arsenal could make a play for it late at the end of the season. Wolves could be in there. Tottenham, you know, we'll talk about them shortly. They could be in with a shout for the title, the way things are looking. So, yeah, very, very bizarre uh, circumstances. Uh, what was billed as the, bro- the blockbuster clash of the weekend finish? Man United nil, Chelsea nil, Old Trafford on Saturday. Um, lots of people thought this game was really boring, but I didn't think it was too bad. Where, where do you stand on it, Lewis? I made the intelligent decision to watch Dortmund Schalke. Oh, <laughs> I, w- I watched both, mate. So um, <laughs> double screen, baby. Um, so I'll, I'll throw the question right back to you, Dad. Well, I, I thought it was quite absorbing. I always like those games when it's sort of on a knife edge right until the end, and you know, one goal could could win it right at the end. And, and United were pushing; they had that shot right at the end from Rashford that uh, uh, Mendy made a decent save. So yeah, I, I didn't think it was too bad. I don't really know what people's problem was I, I, I had to watch it for work and, 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 and you know try and provide some kind of analysis on it and <laughs> that was difficult the thing is it reminded me of an old Jose Mourinho v Rafa Benitez game and Chelsea Liverpool games where it was all about trying to cancel each other else and, and, and get a point but the thing is this this wasn't two tactical geniuses at play. This was two PE teachers at play trying to <laughs> trying to pose the tactical geniuses, and it just didn't make for a, a spectacle at all. <laughs> Been down to uh, JGB Sports and bought themselves a new tactics board before the game or something. Yeah, <laughs> a new pass in one part case. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Chelsea had a massive shout for a penalty turned down in the first half when Harry Maguire had uh, Cesar Azpilicueta in a headlock. <laughs> it looked like. <laughs> Any idea why that wasn't given, Joel? No, um, when you assault a player in the box and you know there's no penalty given, but in Liverpool's case, she tackles someone outside the box and a penalty is given. Mm. How you know how these decisions make sense? But this is you know this is where we are with with refereeing decisions in VAR. It's I don't understand it. The pictures look mad enough. Everyone's seen the pictures of, mm. of Maguire. Um, and obviously the, the memes of what he's learned from the Greek police, let's say. Um, <laughs> but it's, 
it, 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 it was wild enough and it, it looked like a penalty in real time as well you know it, it's something where you see something in the box and you go oh what was that it looked exactly like a penalty and I don't know what Martin Axon was thinking and, and for, for a case why you know, the video system referee why they didn't sort of bring it up but mm, what can do, you, do you guys do you guys think we'd all sort of be a lot more accepting of like this sort of thing if there was actually, I don't know if it, it could be at the end of the weekend from the PGMRL or anything, the Premier League, if they just sort of released a little statement listing all of the things that were checked and why mm. they were or weren't given. Like, because why is that not a penalty? Yeah, it's madness, isn't it? Well, yeah, I, I definitely think I would be more accepting of it, even if, as has, as has been the case in the past, when they've kind of explained the decisions, I've not really been very satisfied with the explanation <laughs> they've given, but at least they've given an explanation. Because yeah. right now, all we get is uh, your man Dale Johnson at ESPN doing sort of free PR for them. <laughs> you know, he, he's the only one who's, who really comes out and explains stuff. Honestly, they never do, do I, they? I do, I do, like, and he takes so much abuse for it. I wonder mm. why. <laughs> I wonder why he's so happy to sort of <laughs> defend it and... <laughs> Yeah, they should be paying him a lot of money. Oh yeah, totally. I, I, I think I think the issue we, we have with with that and, and and that idea of that, that coming out of PGML doing something on a Monday, let's say, is that every decision is subjective, and it, it, what it is, is a referee just deemed that not a penalty. Uh, the the issue we have in this case is that every other fucker believes it was a penalty, um, and, and and I think this is where it's such a, a head loss moment with with views and VAR as well. It's just that. I, I don't think we should have it anymore. In, in the case that all these decisions are subjective, I, I think you can use VAR when it is, and, and they did usually say we're going to use it when it's clear and obvious. And the, the only sort of clear and obvious decision in, in football is is when someone's offside, and now that's muddled, and no one really knows when they're <laughs> offside or not. And it's and and, and it's, it's all become just a bit of a big mess. And obviously, refer back to that open the Pandora's box earlier on is that. If if you took it away now and and someone scored a goal and but no one would, would celebrate it because they'd be going well, hang on he's checking to make sure his armpit mm. wasn't offside and mm. football is weird now it's weird because <laughs> we're in the middle of pandemic and no fans and that but I I don't know it's I, I think it's starting to become a bit a bit stale and it's it's just not the game that you sort of you love when you're you're a kid and mm. I, I think more name for that we can talk about the greed of football and the money in football that's that's maybe infiltrated a little bit but I, I think it doesn't sound dramatic I think VAR and and the state of referee now is it's, it's sort of take it really is taking something away from the game for me mm. I'm, I'm not sure where I am with it it's just, it's just ridiculously overcomplicated like you know if imagine if you went back in time and said to somebody uh, in the future referees are going to have the ability to see an instant replay of an incident immediately <sighs> at the side of the pitch and then they could, if they've not seen it in real time which you know must happen a lot they can then make a decision based on that you'd say great that sounds fantastic yeah, yeah. so why can't that just be what VAR is why does it have to be all this other um, oh but if something happens on a Tuesday then it's not a um, handball but if it happens on a you know Monday morning then it's just nonsense isn't it I'm sick of it sick of it we keep talking about it every week as well we're just as bad as everyone else aren't we really <laughs> well after all the talk of their draw with Southampton last week was about Chelsea's defensive coaching or lack thereof and they had Thiago Silva and Edouard Mendy back for this game and they kept a clean sheet are their defensive troubles over Lewis with those two in uh yeah, and their attacking troubles have started. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I think it's again, it's a bit sort of it's that balance question again. They kept a clean sheet against Sevilla um, in Champions League last week as well, but they've not scored in either game and they've not looked like scoring really in either game. They've not had many chances. Um, yeah, so that's just sort of. I think it's a choice that Lampard's going to have. Can he? How often can he do this? Um, and then it'll be a question of when he sort of lets the players go again. Well, how much risk is being taken, and is it a risk that's worth it? Um, Mendy definitely is. They're not going to concede as many goals because they've not got a goalkeeper who's actively costing them goals, <laughs> um, which which helps. Yeah. Um, so I think like. If there was one thing that everybody could have agreed with uh, going into the summer, it was that Chelsea should sign a goalkeeper. Mm. Um, And they signed a striker and an attacking midfielder and a centre-back in his mid-30s. And then they finally signed a goalkeeper. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, he he looks like a good goalkeeper. Like, he's not going to... I don't think he's incredible and world-class and he's going to challenge Alisson and Edison and... De Gea four years ago to being the greatest goalkeeper in the Premier League uh, but if the goalkeeper is not costing you goals that's a, not a bad place to yeah. start um, <laughs> I think you worry about Thiago Silva's pace maybe a little bit and relying on the fitness especially when this season's so hectic of a player his age uh, but I think we can all agree as well not as long as, as on top of a goalkeeper sorry Chelsea needed somebody back there who just had a bit of an old head and could tell people what the hell are you doing when they're mm. doing something stupid, yeah. uh, which I'm sure Thiago Silva will do. So I think, yeah, it's it's still a massive problem for me. As of, Like you said, a week ago, they're letting three goals to Southampton. Um, but it's baby steps in the right direction, at Definitely, least. Yeah. Uh, Edison Cavani made his debut off the bench for United and almost scored with his... First touch, actually. Did you um, see? Do you see him being a good signing for them, Joel? And, and what sort of return do you expect from him in terms of goals? Um, maybe a bit too early to come to an inclusion on that. I, I, I think he was great on, on Saturday. The way he sort of come on, everyone's kind of sleeping in the near post, and, he, and he, he's very unlucky not to score. To be honest, because the lovely touch and that I think that, that suggests that his sharpness hasn't hasn't gone in his head anyway. Mm. Now we we'll have to see. You know, he's not, not played proper football since. February, March, because obviously Ligue 1 didn't come back. Um, so I have to see him, and it's going to take him a while to get sort of match fit and match ready, and, and his age plays a part in that as well. But if if they do get even 75% of Cavani's ability, then I think, especially if someone's come off the bench, it's a, a useful tool to have, and I think that's where he could play his part, to be honest. And mm. then obviously, maybe, you know, a Champions League, it's They've got the toughest game out of the way. He could easily go and score three or four goals in the Champions League, and you'd probably be worth worth bringing him in and worth the money bringing him in then because he's, he's done a, done his job. I, I don't expect to see him sort of challenge the top goal scorers in the league, but maybe they've not brought him in for that. Maybe he's not going to start every week, so maybe that's not what they're expecting from him. But if he gets you know into double figures, then it's been I'd say it's, it's been a successful sign. To be yeah, honest. it could be a great asset for the squad, and he's only thirty three. I mean, people people talk like he's like thirty eight or something, you know. <laughs> I'm 33 and I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm still pretty sharp. Yeah. <laughs> Mentally, anyway, not, not physically. but <laughs> Fox in the box. <laughs> uh, Donny van der Beek didn't get off the bench in this game, means he still played just 59 minutes of Premier League football this season. Do you think easing him in like this, Lewis, is, is the right approach from Solskjaer? And, and why do you think he's doing it? 
Uh, firstly, I want to say take that to all the Man United fans who sent the abuse when I said that they shouldn't have signed Donny van der Beek. Because uh, clearly Ole Gunnar Solskjaer agrees with me. Yeah. I was so partridge. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say. Needless to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, no, I think... I think he's he is easing him in, as you say. I think it's a case of having a bit more squad depth and he was never a player that was going to come in and play 50 games from the start. And especially because I just never saw how Fernandez, Pogba and uh, Van der Beek could all play in the same midfield. And mm. I think you've got one... If you use two of them, you've sort of got two attack-minded midfielders there already. Uh so, especially a game against Chelsea the other day, playing two of them is a little bit of a of a risk maybe if you're trying to keep things tight. Um, and then even, no matter who you play, we talk about that anyone can beat anyone more than ever this season. Mm. And I think playing a, a midfield three of those three would be a bit suicidal. Um, kamikaze approach. So, we'll always see Matic or Fred or McTominay in a Man United midfield. Um, and I think that's right. And, to be honest, I'm just not entirely sure then why they spent so much money on him mm-hmm. um, for squad depth and in case, I don't know, Fernandez gets injured uh, when they were trying to pinch pennies in their attempts to sign Jaden Sancho. Just sort of yeah. spend the money on the player that you really need that's going to play every week. Yeah, it seems to me, I mean, I don't think they needed him this summer, Van der Beek, but it seems to me like maybe they, they sort of had the opportunity to sign him and have gone, well... Go on then, let's get him. Yeah. And then we've got him then, and, and and maybe if Pogba leaves next summer or something, we've got someone who can step into that role. Um, and just perhaps the opportunity to sign him was too good to turn down. But yeah, it's uh, it's a bit weird that he's not even you know started a Premier League game yet. I don't think has he. So we'll see how that one pans out. Uh, next weekend, United host Arsenal at Old Trafford. How long has it been since Arsenal won there, Lewis? <laughs> Never mind. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, 2015 in the FA Cup. Oh, okay, um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but yeah. in the Premier League, it's been 14 long years mm. um, since uh, Adebayor scored one one nil in the second or third game of the season back in 2006. <laughs> that's nearly as bad as City's Anfield record. That <laughs> 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 uh, Tottenham got themselves a nice three points with a late winner from Hyung Min Son at Burnley on Monday night. That's now seven goals. Harry Kane has set up for Son this season already. Are they the best double act in the league, do you think, Joel? It's got a fair shelf for it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, do you know who the best combo in Premier League history is? Drogba uh, and Lampard. Yes. I think, uh, but yeah. I think uh, Son and Kane are now second, possibly. Yeah, so uh, Drogba yeah. and Lampard got 36 goals between them and Son and uh, Kane have got 29. So. Uh, I mean, that, that's that alone. I mean, it's, that's fantastic, to be honest, yeah. isn't it? I mean, when you think of Drogba and Lampard being sort of like the icons of the league in, in, in the past, and they're not far off. They're probably surpassed that this season, to be honest, especially mm-hmm. the way they've started this season. Um, I, I I struggle to sort of think of a, a, a double act anyway. I think, you know, Liverpool and Man City got better front threes, but when you think of like a sort of partnership together that they, they seem to sort of strike out as the best partnership in the league and, and, and technically Spurs do play with front three but this, this sort of you know Lucas Mora and, and Bergvine they sort of and Lamella you know maybe aren't sort of on the same wavelength still very good players in their own right but when you think you've got Gareth Bale to come back into that and I, I personally don't think Bale's going to reach the heights that, or anywhere near the heights that he, you know, he's been around Madrid in in recent seasons. Um, 
But if if he does, if Bale can sort of reach you know half fifty percent of that and, and get on the same wavelength as Son and Kane, Spurs are in, in business, aren't they? Mm. <laughs> it feels weird to say because Mourinho is a bit of a laugh, but mm. I don't know. He's got he might have, he might have something special there. <laughs> if Mourinho wins the title this season. He's going to be crowing so much about it, isn't he? We will never hear the end of that, I don't think. I mean, maybe it deserves it. Maybe it deserves it for, for all of UCS. I mean, getting them <laughs> yeah. sort of the, the meme that he's become, that Mourinho just, yeah, he doesn't do any press on the last day of the season after he won the league, and they try and get the title winners in two with him, and he just goes, no, you've had nah, enough. Yeah, See you later. Yeah. So, uh, I, d- I, don't, I don't easily imagine Jose Mourinho winning the league and doing no press. <laughs> 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 I think he'd do a world tour, wouldn't he? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's eight assists for Kane uh, already this season. That's his best ever tally, and we've only played six games. Do you think we owe Mourinho a bit of credit for the way Kane's turned into such a good creative player, Lewis? Yeah, I think we owe Mourinho a bit of credit. We owe Harry Kane a bit of credit. We owe um, Human Song a lot of credit mm. uh, as well. Um, I, I think... It wouldn't. It wouldn't be possible for Kane to be getting these assists without playing like with someone like Son. Um, I think uh, we talk about Harry Kane. I think we're very close to having to talk about if Son is the best player in the league or or right up there with with Kane, but with with Sterling and Mane and Salah as well. Yes. Um, it's just unbelievable. Um, but Kane, I think, has probably in the past had a bit of criticism for being a bit selfish or chasing goals for himself um maybe he just didn't ever feel that he was playing with anyone as good as him and having son in the form that he's in right now Kane just seems to be looking for him all the time and he assists uh, against West Ham last week the the first goal was like outrageous yeah. long pass <laughs> um yeah and you just sort of you watch him at the moment and it looked like they were going to be stopped last night but they still come up with something in the end yeah, Burnley had more shots than them in that game, but uh, yeah, nicked it right at the end. So, I mean, it, I, sort of touching it already, Joel, but it feels like the title will be won this season by which team is able to control the chaos the best. Could it be Spurs? Do you gen- genuinely think they're in with a shout? I mean, they they were the title winners after going three up against West Ham last week. Yeah, yeah. By the end of the game, you know, it was it was funny, but then. I, I you can't rule them out, especially because of the way this the season started. And, and the thing is with. With with Tottenham is that they they kind of did have a preseason, so playing competitive games in the Europa League, and to be honest, they were they were trained during lockdown in the park with and Dombele and Mourinho. So yeah. um, they've they've never really stopped to be honest, and I, I, they they look the most prepared uh, than the most of the teams in the league, if, if not all the teams in the league. And I, I do wonder at some point whether the Europa League games will will catch up on, on them as as it tends to do with every team every season, but. Um, you know, if they go and win the first three games, four games there and qualify, they can they can rest players currently in the last two. Mm. Um, quite possibly, I, I, the way they started the season and, and the way different, you know, Kane Son are playing, I actually think Hoiberg's turned out to be, or well, looks like he's going to be a very good sign. I think mm. he was great last night anyway. And um, I, I don't know, that they, they, they look strong, don't they? And I just, I just don't feel like they are a title challenger right now, but then... You can't rule them out, and then you know they're only one point off the top right now. And let, let, let's see in in January. Yeah, it's, it's very it's early days, isn't it? Lads, it's Tottenham, um, <laughs> and then, that always will come to fruition at some point in the season. That will come to fruition. <laughs> Uh, well, the weekend kicked off on Friday evening with a very impressive 3-0 win for Leeds away at Aston Villa. Uh, Patrick Bamford scored a hat-trick here, putting him on six Premier League goals for the season already. Are you surprised by how well he's adapted to the step up from the Championship, Lewis? 
Oh, no, not at all. If Marcel Bielsa believes in him, then uh, who are we yeah. to question it? Um, <laughs> I remember a lot of talk last year, especially about sort of, oh, why is he sticking with Bamford? He's not scoring any goals. Uh, but I think he obviously brings so much more to the Leeds team and was such an important just part of the, the machine going forward that Bielsa stuck with him anyway. Um and I think he was missing a lot of chances last season, or the last two seasons for Leeds. And now he's um, now he's putting away what? Oh, well, I mean, two of the goals the other night weren't even half chances. Um, mm. and he stuck one in each top corner. Um, yeah, sometimes sometimes you just on a hot streak, right? And mm. it looks like he is at the moment, but he wouldn't have he wouldn't have had the the faith of Bielsa, I don't think, if he didn't think he had this in him in the first place. And if nothing else, we know that he has a lot of players at Leeds playing above what a lot of people might consider their level. Yeah. Well, there's an interesting shape from Leeds in this one, actually, because they have Bamford playing up top and then Rodrigo playing just behind him. Do you think uh, that's the right system for Bielsa, Joel? I, well, when I first sort of had a look at the, the shape on, on Friday, I thought, I thought they were in trouble because I was looking at Aston Villa's midfield and, and the way they've, they've started the campaign, I thought... Villa will do to me, but then and then obviously they didn't have Calvin Phillips because he's out for for six weeks. Mm. But but it worked. I, I I don't think there is going to be a set shape from league to season. Bielsa will will work with the pieces he's got, and then will just manage to get them out and play above their level and 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 produce absolute fireworks. And I, it's interesting with Rodrigo because he you know he has been sort of a, a forward or an inside forward for, for Valencia, and but has not scored the goals that you would expect. Um, but and maybe Bielsa's brought him in to, to do a different role, and maybe that that's going to work. So he, he contributed on on Friday, but I I think that that shape they they were brilliant, and I think that could work for him because I think one thing that that shape does anyway is it brings the best out of um, Click as well, who is mm. who I didn't expect to sort of come up to this level, but every game I've seen this season, he looked he's looked brilliant, and on Friday he, he sets up I think Bamford's firm. Second goal by sort of turning um, someone in the midfield, completely sending them for the echo, and then and just and, and then you know, <laughs> driving 30, 40 yard run. And I just thought that, that looks like a player you're playing in the Champions League, never mind the Premier League. Yeah. He's, and I think that that is, is going to get the best out of the players like that if he, if he continues playing play this shape, the system anyway. Mm. Uh, Aston Villa's 100% start to the season came to a shuddering halt, though. Um, someone suggested after this game that the key to stopping Villa is nullifying Jack Grealish. Do you agree with that, Lewis? Is, is that the uh, the Achilles heel? I think you, I think last season that was 100% it. I think there's a bit more to them this season. Um, but most of, most of what they do does still come through Jack Grealish. And I mean, it goes without saying, I think pretty much if you look at that team and watch them play, he's the one that's going to make something happen. Um, you you dread to think what might happen to Villa if he's injured, obviously. Mm. Again, it wouldn't be as drastic as last season, but he is the man who, who makes them tick. Um, so yeah, I, Villa looked great though. Um, obviously not on Friday, but Villa generally have looked great. And I think we we're talking there about like surprise teams and the the Champions League and it's wide open. You can yeah. see either of these two teams like sneaking into a European place this season, I think. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, another team whose unbeaten run came to an end was Everton, who lost 2-0 at Southampton on Sunday. Uh, that means Arsenal's invincible record will officially remain intact for one more season. You must be pleased about that, Lewis? Yeah, that's what we play for nowadays. <laughs> um, that's the real quiz. It is, it is. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> Everton were without Richarlison due to suspension for this game. Do you think it's fair to say they're a much lesser team without him, Lewis? Because I know you've uh, you've said before that you think he's one of the best players in the league, don't you? Yeah, I think for all the talk, obviously James Rodriguez is the Rodriguez is the shiny new toy, and Dominic Calvert Lewin's been scoring a lot of goals. But I still think Richarlison is not only the that they missed him, but I think he's the one that they've missed. They would miss most if they had to go a while without any of those mm. three. Um, he's the only one that can play in any of those three positions across the front, he, and I think he's just—I just think he's brilliant. I think the what, before what we're talking about Harry Kane and Chumin Song, um, and I see what's similar about Richarlison. I think is he can sort of be what the team needs him to be. Um, I can see him being the player who, who takes people on and maybe creates something out of nothing, or you can see him playing as a bit more of a poacher and. Yeah, he can he can be the guy that gets you ten assists a season, or the guy who gets you fifteen goals a season, or maybe both. Um, he's definitely a, a big big miss, and they'll be out without him for the next two games as well. So um, it's maybe something to worry about a little bit for them. Mm. Uh, well, I don't know. will they be without Luca Dean for the next three games? Have they decided on that? Yeah, I don't know if I missed an announcement on this, but he was sent off um, for standing on Kyle Walker. Peter's leg. Um, it did look a bit accidental that one, though. Do you agree with those who say it was a harsh red, Joel? Uh, no, it was a red. Um, <laughs> it is, I mean, it, I don't think there's any intent in it. It, it maybe was accidental, but it's, it's still a red card. You can't stand on someone else's Achilles and get away with it. I mean, uh, Kamara performed at exactly the same thing the day before That's against right, Mr. Yeah, Parson, yeah. and it, it was a, that was a red. It, it was it's 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 in, for one it's endangering and, and you know another player's safety and well-being. Um, I've got an issue, a little icky thing with, with Sandman Peel's Achilles because it always remembers like, a film called House of Wax where one of these characters in the film <laughs> gets his Achilles cut by scissors and I always, oh, I always want to think about it, it just makes you go a bit gooey. Uh-huh. Um, so it reminded me of that. It was it was a red card. I mean, Karma has a funny way of working its way around, doesn't it? With with Luca oh, and Everton. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a red. So I'm sorry, it wasn't intense, and maybe, but I don't think it was harsh. It was. It's every day of the week. It's a red card. <laughs> I mean, I we've, we've talked about refereeing decisions more than is necessary on this show already, because I know it can be dull as well. But I do think incidents like this one highlight a flaw in the rules because I, you know, I do. I don't think there was any intent, as you said there, and I don't really think that sending someone off and then banning them for. What is it? Would it be a three-match ban for that? I think one. Yeah. One it, match ban, because even because it was accidental. I think it will be one. It seems to me like this should be like a. An, an orange card or something. We've got. There's got to be something between a yellow card and a red card for, for instance, like that. You can't stand opinion. on people's Achilles. Give them, give them free. It's give them football, six. though, isn't it? You're gonna, you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna accidentally do stuff. <laughs> oh, you're gonna, you're gonna accidentally maim him. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> These things happen. Yeah. I mean, how is how is that a red card? But but, but Jordan Pickford's last week wasn't a red card. It's, uh, oh, it's not. Yeah. Let's, let's not. Let's uh, not get yeah, into that. Yeah. 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 Uh, Lewis, your prediction about Southampton being this season's dark horses is looking quite interesting at the moment isn't it um uh, do you think it might be worth one of the big clubs taking a look at Ralph Hasenhutl when they're next in the market for a new manager maybe even like Man City if Guardiola leaves oh are you like shopping around now Dan well you know got to start preparing for the inevitable haven't we you know um, <laughs> uh, I think he's a great manager that's why I sort of predicted Southampton to be, to be uh, dark horses because I think the squad's not that good to be honest mm. um, and I think he's got them punching above their weight and even if you compare to look at the money that Aston Villa spent in the summer and mm. look at the players Everton have got and and look at the way that Leeds have been playing the last couple of years under Bielsa I don't think um, uh, uh, Southampton sorry 
have a squad anything like um, certainly not Aston Villa and Everton and yeah I I just think that he does a, a really really good job and gets the absolute maximum out of them and and they play good football so they're exciting to watch um, yeah Dan go for it give him a ring yeah I will do yeah yeah <laughs> The Alpine Klopp versus the real Klopp in the in the title race. That would be quite nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's the real club. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, Newcastle earned themselves a 1-1 draw away at Wolves, courtesy of a late free kick from Jacob Murphy on Sunday. Um, I saw someone on Twitter after this game suggesting that all that separates Wolves from the top teams is the ability to like really press home their advantage and win games after taking the lead. Is there something in that, Joel, or is that just like saying they need to learn to score more goals than the other team and they'll, they'll win more matches? <laughs> no, I, I do think there is something in that. I think um, the issue with Wolves, I think it's the way uh, Nuno Espirito Santo sets them up, and they're very solid and, and they're horrendously hard to beat. Like if you if you win a game against Wolves, you, you've earned it. But I, I don't think it's wrong or harsh to suggest that you, you sort of expect more of them with the players they have. Um, especially when you think of the former Damatriori has been in for the past twelve to eighteen months. You know, he's gone twenty five games without scoring now. Try yeah, wow, wow. He, he hasn't scored against Man City. Yeah, he's, that was his last goal in the league was against Man City on um, o- over Christmas time last year, twenty seventh of December, I think it was. Ah. And uh, and Ruben Neves hasn't scored for thirty two games. Yeah, well, that's, that's the thing with Neves. It's, it's one of them whenever when should be running most of the midfields in the league, to be honest. And then you've got Jimenez, who's who's always going to score your goals, but then he's feeding off scraps. And and, and the goal he gets on on, on Sunday is, is is one that he sort of has to make of his of his own ability. He, he just whacks one from the edge of the box, but because he's not really getting anything all, all game. And and they've, they've added Nelson Semedo from Barcelona, who I, I think, especially in a wing back position where he's got more license to to get forward and affect it, they they should be creating more chances. They should be a bit more exciting to watch but mm. I mean they're alright they're, they're in the seventh position and they're probably going to finish around that sort of area so that, that's okay for a team that's not long been put into the Premier League but I, I, I would be expecting more as a world supporter but Mm. But is that is that the it's, it's a balancing act though, isn't it, Lewis? If they were to become a bit more gung ho, do you think they risk sacrificing that defensive stability that they've got? Yeah, like yeah, exactly. And I, I think uh, uh, it's so hard because you you look at Wolves, and I think probably over the last couple of seasons, if I needed a team to keep a clean sheet for me in the Premier League, I'd pick this Wolves team <laughs> yeah. almost every weekend. Um, they're just uh, in the in the uh, a league of madness. They're like the one sane person <laughs> um, telling everybody that actually this is how it should be done. Uh, but then I, I just think maybe this style of football has a ceiling as well, and it was probably reached over the last well since the beginning of last season. And that sort of like Joel said, there they're they're seventh. They'll probably finish. Yeah, around seventh, like just above mid-table, just below maybe European places. That that's where they'll be. That's what they are. Um, but you do wonder if they sort of took the shackles off and went for it now and then. If they could sort of push that ceiling a little bit further, mm-hmm. um, but it might, yeah, it might ruin what's what's been so good about them the last couple of years. So it's mm-hmm. it's really hard to say. But if I was watching Wolves every week as a fan, I'd definitely like to see them sort of go for it a bit more mm. especially when they're playing someone like Newcastle yeah well I was going to say a team who have hit their ceiling and it's a very low ceiling is Newcastle <laughs> <laughs> I mean Kieran Dyer I saw he, he was sort of echoing the sentiments we expressed on the podcast last week when he was saying that Newcastle are just boring like but, but does does that even matter Joel are they just a club in desperate need of a fresh start under a new owner and until that happens we just can't really 
expect anything from them. Yeah, I think so. Fresh shot on the new owner, that'll probably bring in a new manager, and and I think someone else can can do a bit more with with the bits that they've got because they have got exciting players like like we suggested last week. Um, there is a photo go around, which is where I've had a look of, of Callum Wilson, and and someone suggested that you know how isolating and how lonely it is to be a Newcastle United striker, where Wilson's mm. literally in the, in the opposition penalty area. Uh, and for about thirty yards of the picture, the only pe- other people you can see are seven Wolves defenders, and there's no <laughs> no Newcastle player in support of them, and, yeah. and I think that's it. And, and I just think, yeah, I, I think it's just it's just stale there, and it's just going to be in purgatory for for a little while. But uh, but again, if Bruce there for the whole last season, like last week, I said he just needs to get to forty points and keep them up, and then his his mo is completed mm, and achieved, yeah. and and that's all Newcastle Mike Ashley wants, and. Instead of getting the owner in, that's just going to be the way it is, sadly. Yeah, stay in the Premier League. What a fun uh, challenge that is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Fulham continued their winless start to the season with a 2-1 defeat at home to Crystal Palace on Saturday. Uh, I've noticed Scott Park has started to have questions asked about his job. Lewis, do you think he should be worried about that? And Is there anyone out there who you think could come in and, and transform Fulham straight away? Uh, um, oh, that's you've put me on the spot. Felix McGatt. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Paul Scholes might be free after this Salford City <laughs> um, but yeah I, I saw people questioning Scott Parker's job in the summer uh, mm. after Fulham had been promoted and sort of people saying like yeah they've been promoted but if they were smart maybe they'd just do it now already because they had by far the, the best squad in the championship and sort of scraped their way to Premier League football um, they're just rubbish aren't they yeah. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd like to be a bit more nuanced than that, but um, I, I don't think it's bad when a team's rubbish. Like every league's going to have a team that finishes twentieth, but you'd like to see some sort of idea. Um, and I don't really see that with Fulham. I just see sort of eleven players lined up in a formation, and then they lose the game. Um, if I was them, not... I'd go for Derby's points record to be honest, and try and try and get loads. <laughs> Quite a bit of history because yeah. they're going to go down anyway. And, and, and they may as well not go down with 25 points because they're not going to get anywhere near a chance of survival. They may as well go, you know what, lads, let's, let's just throw a couple of games and, and lose 25 games. And let, let's see if we can you know, be the shittest teams ever playing in the Premier League. And that's something to go down. Probably, I mean, Derby, Derby won once, didn't they? So, oh, I think, yeah. See if, <laughs> you, if you can go through an entire season without winning a single game. Um, that would be quite something the reverse invincibles is that yeah. <laughs> it's just hard to feel anything for Fulham really isn't it they're just the most yeah. inoffensive football club in the country probably yeah um, lovely little stadium by the Thames there everyone kind of wishes them well but you know when it goes wrong no one really cares do they it's a fantastic away but you yeah. can't even have that so it's absolutely pointless to be here you know David Silva recently named um, Craven Cottage as one of his favourite English stadiums did he say why uh, no, I know I think he just said it was a nice a big, fan of the, a big fan of Michael Jackson statue. Yeah, must be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Fulham have got West Brom at Craven Cottage next week. I think that could be the earliest recorded relegation six pointer in top flight history. We <laughs> <laughs> uh, have to say it's been a very solid start for Palace. They've got uh, Wolves and Leeds in their next two games. Joel, do you think they're looking at two defeats there, or can they? Can you see them causing their opponents problems in those sort I, of games? Yeah, I really think they can cause some problems. I mean. Palace is so weird. I mean, Roy Hodgson's probably the, the face that I've got on my dartboard more than anyone else in, <laughs> in the world. But he's... He, he, Let he's, it go. It's been 10 years. <laughs> God, no, I'll never forget him. I'll never forget Blackpool at home. Um, but 
they seem to be always start really well, Palace. And, and if you look at the table now, that you know they're a win away from being top of the league. I know it's early on, but Crystal Palace should enjoy that. Um, and I, I think in the way that sort of they, they can, they don't keep too many clean sheets, but they are very solid at the back. And that's a weird thing to say. And and, and the thing is, the way you know, talk about the Wolves game, for example. If Wolves are playing the way they are at the moment and, and they get frustrated very, very quickly, and Palace can, can break you out know, the pace they have, and, and Sahar and, and Batuai is now starting games, and if Eze comes on or if he starts, he, he can do a bit of business. They've got an exciting team that can cause you problems and that they just can nick a goal out of nowhere, I'd say. And mm. that's, I, yeah, I, I think both of them, especially if they manage to frustrate Leeds, because Leeds obviously will be very gung ho and, and, and will throw everything at them, but if, if Palace manage to keep sort of the sanity and keep the game sane for a while long enough, they'll go off the end and, and, and grab a goal. And it's, they're, they're a weird team, but you know what? It seems to work for them. It seems to work for Hodgson, so you know, fair play to them. Yeah. I keep uh, thinking about the uh, Zahar goal against Fulham, you know, when he collided with the post afterwards oh, and yeah. wincing, thinking about it. Could you imagine that feeling when you've just scored a goal, but you're also in agony? <laughs> it must be a, a real a mixture of emotions there going through. <laughs> Um, well I I was thinking last night is there anything better after a hard Monday at work than kicking back with a cold one in front of Brighton v West Brom (laughs) it's really great way to kick off the week isn't it and I have to admit I saw um, Bronislav Ivanovic playing for West Brom that one had completely passed me by it was like Uncanny Valley stuff when I saw him in a West Brom show I was like when did that happen did you know he played for them Um, I I knew that he signed for them yeah I didn't know that he actually um, was playing for them. I, I think he, I think he played last week. He made his debut last week. Right. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that he was under forty six. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, everyone's talking about Petr Cech being being named in the in the Chelsea squad. Yeah. Let's. Um, we should assign one player of that Chelsea squad from um, six years ago. One player to each Premier League team. Yeah. You've got Ivanovic at West Brom. There's already we're already um, temp- uh, what. Uh, two teams there with them and Chelsea. Yeah, so yeah. let's just go for the rest of them as well. I was going to say, what's Florent Malouda up to? Um, that's what I want to know. <laughs> they can get Alexi Smirton back at Everton or something, something like that. Let's get that going. <laughs> you know that um, Willy Caballero is older than Petr Cech? Yeah, He's it's like two, funny, year, isn't it? two years older than him. Yeah. <laughs> That's mad, that. <laughs> uh, well, Carlin Grant scored his first uh, West Brom goal after joining from Huddersfield a couple of weeks ago in this game. Do you think they might have un- unearthed a decent striker there, Lewis? Do you know much about him? Um, I know that he almost cracked 20 goals in the championship last season, which is no mean feat. Mm. And for a, a pretty poor Huddersfield yeah, team exactly, as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I, you always wonder, don't you, about Chet, like we, I think you you predicted that Che Adams would be poor last season yeah. uh, after Southampton signed him. And now he's starting to look like he's found his feet uh, um, playing up front with Danny Ings instead of on his own. I don't know. I, I think... Um, they better hope that Carlin Grant scores got some goals because <laughs> I don't really. I watched them a few weeks ago and uh, I think they were nil nil, and then they brought on Hal Robson Carnu for a goal, and I thought, whoa, that's a throwback. Um, <laughs> what is this Euro twenty sixteen? Exactly. Yeah, so like they obviously badly needed a striker. They've they've got um, Diangana and Matias Pereiro could both create chances but they didn't seem to have anybody who might stick them at the back of the net mm. so adding Carlo and Grant to it yeah I mean 
can't go wrong with it, can they? Give yeah, it a go. Good luck to him, yeah. Uh, well, Slavin Bilic is said to be furious with the West Brom board after they agreed to sell Ahmed El Hagazi to Saudi Arabian side Al Itihad behind his back. Do you think this could be the beginning of the end for Slavin, Joel? Is this going to be the, the straw that breaks the camel's back with his relationship with the club? I think that it only ends in one way when, when things like that start happening. You know, when you go behind the manager's back, you're, um, you're suggesting that there's, you know, something wrong with this squad there. I, I always, I thought start the season that just, you know, eventually at some point West Brom are going to bring another manager in because that just seems mm-hmm. to be the way, the way it goes. And Billy ends up doing his own head in or the heading of the, of the supporters and, and the board. Uh, pretty much every club he's been at. And I, I think that'll, that'll play out exactly that, that way anyway. And, mm-hmm. When's it going to be the first cry of getting Sam Allardyce in at the Hawthorns? That's surely going to happen <laughs> at some point, isn't it? He's yeah. <laughs> due, due a trip to West Brom, isn't he, big Sam? Is the... got off, it makes perfect sense. That's why it's not happened already. It's Sam Allardyce is trying to do the 92 just in the managerial <laughs> seat. <laughs> and if Billich does leave West Brom, I suppose on the plus side he can get back in the studio with his band, can't he? Just get working on his next album. So. Uh, no, no live gigs at the moment, though, Dan. That's true, yeah. That's true, but yeah. Everyone's a winner. Uh, well, that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you to Lou and Joel for joining me thank you to everyone for listening we'll be back again next Tuesday with another Premier League weekend review podcast and Ian McCourt will be back later this week talking all things Champions League if you'd like to get in touch with the show the email address is podcast at onefootball.com or you can tweet us at onefootball see you next time